Welcome to the Wake and Rake podcast. My mind, you just wake up and go rake. Featuring World Series champion Will Middlebrooks. High drive, deep left field for Middlebrooks. Back and that is gone. Third home run of the day for Will Middlebrooks. The trifecta has the Red Sox on top, nine to nothing. And MLB journalist Danny Vietti. Vietti here. He's a uh, yeah, right-handed pitcher. He's six five. So you were right. He's thinking he's tall. He is. Pretty tall. You're from Cottonwood, California. Cottonwood, California. I don't know where I, that is. I don't know where that is either. Want a chance to be featured on the show? Follow at Wake and Rake Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. I'm kind of a big deal. Here's Danny and Will. Look how far we've come. Hey people, what's good, baby? Happy Thursday. What the hell day is it? January 6th. Got my date all mixed up. You might be wondering why I'm wearing this outfit, Brooksy. Well, your boy's going to Hawaii. I stopped asking questions about your outfit about a year ago now. <laughs> yeah, that's, it. that's fair. But you know what? We have an absolute surprise, an absolute treat for you guys today. We have Hannah Kaiser joining us today from Yahoo Sports. Years at Yahoo Sports. She was at Vice before. Uh, she's been in the trenches for some of the biggest yeah. baseball happenings, really, in, in the recent Absolute year. genius when it comes to the CBA and what's right. going on. And that's really the only thing to talk about in baseball right now. So we might as well dig into it. She's the perfect person to do yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she was in the trenches for World Series games. She's been in the trenches for the science stealing scandal. She's got it all. And Brooksy here um, doesn't understand the CBA. I know. <laughs> a little bit more than he is, or at least I like to think I do. So yeah, Hannah's gonna. Hannah's gonna I was literally us. a player rep for three years, Danny. <laughs> yeah, if we're being you know honest, what you, you read know on your Google machine. That's what uh, you. Okay, here's my problem: is one, I don't under, I don't have money, and two, because I don't have money, I don't understand money, and that's what these CBA negotiations are. It's all about money. Not it's to be beyond, it's beyond that, and and Hannah, we'll get her to explain it to us like we're we're children which we, we really are mentally, but um, she'll, we're going to dig into this. I, I'm, I'm really excited because I know we're both going to learn a lot from her. Yeah. If you haven't already, go down to the review section on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. That allows us to drive more traffic to this podcast. It allowed us to, allows us to do more episodes and to kind of give you guys some more content here. So if you tell haven't us, already- Tell us what you want to see, who you want to exactly see. Right. Yep, exactly. We, uh, we can get- guests on here we got some fun ones lined up for you guys so we'll start filtering them in we have to space them out we don't know how much time we're gonna have to cover with no baseball or content to talk about so cba it's fired up yeah let's go to hannah while we go to hannah make sure you leave that review on apple podcast but let's head to hannah kaiser right now welcome back to the wake and rake podcast and we're joined by hannah kaiser currently major league baseball writer and reporter with yahoo sports years with yahoo sports deadspin vice University of Penn alumni. I think you're our first University of Pennsylvania alum to join the show, Hannah. So congrats oh, on that. Thank, thank you so much. I so often apply my ancient history degree to baseball. <laughs> yeah, I, you I, went to, I, you went to I Penn to and I didn't. Go, you went to Penn and I didn't even go to college. So we're basically <laughs> the same person. <laughs> well, I I don't I never played baseball, so I think your your experience is slightly more relevant. <laughs> your 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 life tools are probably much more handy than mine, but. <laughs> Yeah, and she's actually going to be able to fill us in on all these CBA negotiations because yes. Brooksy and I try to figure it out, but they're, we're, we're dealing with some big words here. And as soon as we see those big words, our brains just can't handle it. And then we start getting anxiety. And that's what we brought you on here for, to try and break it down for us like we're five. 
All right, I'm going to see if I can explain it in such a way to keep you guys engaged. Especially slow. Can you draw, can you draw pictures, please? I'm a terrible artist. This was actually my problem. You know, I studied ancient Egyptian history when I was in college and I couldn't draw the little hieroglyphics. So that's, <laughs> I feel like that's like the one thing I could draw. You, I, it's, I legit could not do it. Um, we should not pull my transcript because you would see that I did terribly on all of my ancient history, ancient hieroglyphics tests because I couldn't do the little hieroglyphics. So right, no so pictures. Game, game of pictionaries. Game of pictionaries out the window. Okay. I'm out. I'm out. All right. So, I mean, honestly, just to kick this off, if you can, as simple as possible, other than just telling us there's two sides fighting over money, there's much mm -hmm. more involved, as we all know. Um, if you can just sum it up for our listeners, and then for me too, I'm still learning about all this as well. And I was a player rep for three years. Um, just to sum it up in, in a simple way for people to try to understand it, and then we can dig into the details a little more. Yeah, so if you stopped paying attention to baseball when the World Series ended, you missed some drama. So the collective bargaining agreement, which sort of overlies all the rules and regulations that apply to players on the 40-man roster, expired December 1st at 11.59 p.m. This one has run for five years, and people have known for all five of those years that the players were unhappy. They didn't like the deal they got in 2016. They thought they sort of gave up too much ground and then the five years since have really borne that out. What we've seen is owners sort of exploiting the existing CBA to keep costs down, uh, like average salaries have dropped. We just got the numbers from the most recent season. And once again, sort of the, the total spending is down. It's down from its high in 2017. It's lower than it was in 2015. So players knew that this was coming and they were ready for a fight. And owners knew that, they, that the players were ready for a fight and so they were ready for a fight. And the confluence of that is a lockout. I was the owners locked out the players at like 12, 10 a.m. on December 2nd. And since then, they have not talked too much. Uh, they've talked a little but not about these core economic issues. Um, and so where are we left it? It's essentially that the, you know, the, the union side, they have concerns around things like how early players are getting paid. So, so whether or not younger players are not making enough money commensurate with what they're producing for the team. So they have concerns with getting players paid earlier in career. And then they had concerns with sort of player teams that aren't spending enough. They had this, that the competitive balance threshold is acting as a salary cap. Teams are afraid to go over it. You can tell because so many teams are coming up close to it and not spending any more. Um, and so those issues combined, they, they want these, they want these things changed and the league either doesn't want those things changed or they want sort of wholesale like an overhaul. I think one of the things that's been really interesting is that you hear a lot that the league is happy with the status quo. And that's not totally true. It's like they're asking for things in these negotiations as well. If they were, if they were just saying, let's keep it the same, we'd be meeting somewhere in the middle, but they want things too. So, so right now the two sides are pretty far apart. So what you're saying is they didn't have any white elephant or uh, secret Santa parties during Christmas, which is a shame because that would have been great to see Rob Manfred and Tony Clark hand each other secret Santa gifts is all I'm saying. And Dan Halem and Bruce Meyer, who are heading up these two negotiations for the league and, and union respectively. So yeah, they didn't talk too much of the holidays. Everybody took the holiday off. I, you know what? I wasn't mad about it. It meant that I didn't have to work too much, but now we're into January and we need them to start talking. Yeah. So I, I reached out to a couple of buddies who are on the executive subcommittee. Um, Andrew Miller being one of them. I played with him in Boston. Great dude, knows the game inside and out. I wish I knew Scherzer more because I, unfortunately, he dominated me as he does everyone. I was like three for 35 off him. He's 
he would probably love to talk to me. It doesn't go the other way. But um, I talked to Andrew and I just said, where are they at? Is there something going on? Like they got to be meeting privately, right? Because I feel like we saw how things went in 2020 uh, with COVID when it started, how ugly that got, how public it was because there were, there were, there were moves being made in the public to turn fans against certain sides and this and that, and to force people's hands. And it got messy. And I feel like both sides lost a lot of support from fans and, and people all around baseball because of how messy that was a millionaires versus billionaires and this and that. So it made me think maybe they learned from that. Maybe they are meeting privately. Maybe they're behind closed doors trying to get this done. And Andrew, who is very transparent with me said, we haven't talked to them at all once since the lockout. And and another thing is the lockout, the lockout didn't have to happen. Most people think, Oh, it ended. It had to happen. It's essentially a negotiation tactic by the league, right? Yeah. Let's talk about, let's talk about why we got the lockout. So right in the lead up, everyone sort of like media and people in the game, everyone was saying, this is inevitable. We're getting this lockout. You bring up a good point. It's not that it has to happen just because the CBA expired. The reason it has to happen, that was in air quotes, uh, is because the owners didn't want to sort of get, if, if they don't lock out the players, the players can go on strike. So they lock out the players because they wanted to control the timing of it. That, that goes back to 1994. Rob Manfred himself talked about this. He said, you know, a, an off-season work stoppage is better than one in-season. The 1994 strike was initiated by the players and they don't want that to happen, so they locked them out. What I think is interesting is if you're not going to if you're not going to talk during the lockout, then really all the lockout is is a transaction freeze, and it makes me think that that's what they really wanted. They really just wanted to stop teams from handing out money because they handed out a ton of money right before the lockout. So it's starting to feel a little bit like, well, if you're not rushing back to the table, then why did you do the lockout? It seems like maybe they just did it to sort of slow the offseason down. And I think they're going to continue to stall. Yeah. As a tactic, put the pressure on the players because they know the players, especially pitchers, position players are a little different. They don't have to ramp up per se. They have to get in shape, but you can get in shape the four to six weeks you're at camp. Pitchers have to ramp up and come to camp being able to throw three to four innings, high velocity, all their pitches. Uh, and we know how important velocity is in today's game. And you're going to see injuries if guys aren't able to ramp up. So if they're all of a sudden just saying, hey, next week, you're going to see some injuries in spring training. You're going to see some big name players not start the first two or three weeks of the season because they're not ready. Because you don't want your big money guys to go out there and blow out. We saw that in 2020 as well when they were trying to get a season during the COVID pandemic, and we weren't sure if we were going to get a season. And the pitchers were basically saying, look, we can't just have a week's time of spring training. We're like 40 40 days away from pitchers and catchers right now. Yeah. Yeah. If you think about that, it's like less than a month and a half away. Now all of a sudden I'm going, we're going to miss games. And, they, and it's like once they start talking seriously, that's the beginning. Because these, these negotiations have sort of barely started. You talk they about, haven't even opened the think, door yet. I know. You think the, like, the league is stalling. The league is stalling because the Players Association would say, well, the ball was in their court. So the PA made the last economic proposal. The thing that sort of happened at the very end, back in December, they were in Dallas where the, the, the union was having their executive subcommittee meeting. The league went there to talk to them. So sort of the last thing that happened was the union made a proposal. And in response... The league said, we will only take talk economics with you if you agree to sort of table some of these bigger asks. The union didn't want to do that. So the league did not make another economic proposal. So if you ask the union, they would say, well, it's their turn. But if it's their turn, 
they're just going to stall because like you said, it's the players who, who need to know when they can report they and need to know what they're ramping up for. Exactly. Well, let me follow up with, with, with that. You said some of the big ass. And by the way, I must apologize. My dog over here on the left has taken a deep, deep nap. So that's not me snoring at the negotiation <laughs> talks. That's my dog. For whatever reason, CBA talks doesn't entertain Melky over here. But uh, let me follow up with that and say, you said big ass. What are some of these big ass? Because we've talked about certain rule changes that could be in play. What have you heard from each side? What is each side asking for exactly? Yeah. Okay. So I'm looking at the last thing I wrote. I'm going to read my, make sure I'm getting it right by, by my own reporting, but I just forgot because it was <laughs> over a month ago. So the biggest thing that sort of the union wants, maybe the, the biggest thing is the path to free agency. That's sort of the biggest thing that could potentially change if the players get what they want that would, that would affect sort of how fans perceive the game. So right now, players are under team control for six years, seven if their service time is manipulated, like Chris Hannah, Bryant. quick, sorry to cut you off, but why are yeah. you saying that six, seven years? Isn't there talk as well about the two to three year, like super twos the and two. first year arbitration? They're looking at that as well, too, to keep the younger players being such a commodity and kind of the middle class of players getting the shaft, basically. Right. So that that time where, team, where guys are under team control, they're so valuable. First of all, six years is a long time. Well, I know you know. Yes. <laughs> that I barely made it to six years. <laughs> you not make it in your big payday till after that. You might not see a big payday. And within that, there's that pre-arbitration. So you're, that, that's your year one, year two. League minimum. So you're making league minimum. Yeah, you're making league minimum. And if you're, it doesn't matter if you're Mike Trout, Fernando Tatis Jr., Juan Soto, you're making league minimum because they don't have to pay you a penny more until you hit arbitration. And they don't have to pay you what free market value would be until you hit free agency. So that's the biggest problem. That's a big problem. It, you, you know, and the players, I saw Max Scherzer did an interview recently talking about this. He said the big sort of that, that big deal we made early on in the Players Association, we were willing to trade cost control early for payouts later. And for a long time, that's what happened. Guys got those huge deals and then teams realized, oh, they're not producing that much as much at 35 as they were at 25. So we're not going to give them 25 year old money for 35 year old. But then you see like the long-term like discounted extensions too, which is an right. issue with younger players who are like, oh, you can either sign now, look at Chris Bryant. You can either sign now and go to the big leagues or you cannot sign, just go to the minor leagues. We'll call you up whenever and then come out and make league minimum. So you're signed like Salvi Perez signed a five year, seven or right. five, what was it five year, seven million dollar deal? Like things yeah. like that. Like, All of I, it comes down to cost control. All of it comes yeah. down to the teams love those first six years or however many years they can buy out that they don't have to sort of see how much that player could get. They don't want, that's what they don't want. They don't want them to get to test free agency. And so they want to sort of have as much control. And so the big thing that they, that, that, that the MLB knew that the players wanted to change this. And so the league proposed, oh, well, we'll do away with service time entirely. Everyone becomes a free agent at 29 and a half. Now that's kind of a problem because when you hit 30 is when you start declining. Yeah. And I really thought what was interesting was the union's counter. So this is their most recent counter was sort of an either or system, six years or five years and a certain age. And to me, that seems like a pretty good compromise. This idea that if you're 29 and you have five years and you're gonna be 30, then you sort of hit free agency. So they, they, want, they want that. They also want, there's a whole bunch of other sort of things that like, you know, you can get bonuses for certain war thresholds, but certain awards. They want ways to get guys who are really producing a lot young, the, what's the great example that Pete Alonso 
when he won the home run derby, he got more money for winning the home run derby than he made for his entire year because he was still making right. the league minimum. So they're, they're trying to figure out ways to sort of be like, if you're so good that you can win the home run derby, your team should have to pay you a little more. So that's the one big issue. The other huge issue is the CBT, the competitive balance threshold tax. That's what I was going to ask you about next, because it's like, are we, do you see a salary floor ever happening? No, because it's the union that doesn't want one. So the union doesn't want a floor because they're, they, so it's different than the other two leagues, the other two, the NBA and the NHL and the NFL, I think they all have salary caps and they all have salary, there's some sort of, but the, the, this is sort of like the founding, back to Marvin Miller, the originator of the union, back that the main thing that the union cares about is no cap. They want to be the sports league that doesn't have a cap. They don't oh, want yeah, any cap. I said floor. No, no, I know, but they think oh. that a floor, a floor will gotcha, always gotcha, be tied. Gotcha. You're saying, well, I know if, 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 if the players say we want a floor, they're going to say, well, we got to have a cap. It, it's right. it's they, they go hand in hand and you're gonna have to have both if you have the other what they really don't and and so in order to like avoid a cap they have to avoid not just a floor they don't want it to be even tied to revenue they don't want they they don't want to say like they say you know you you guys can do whatever you want go as make as much money as you can as owners right. get your get your you know real estate deals and your tv deals and whatever but they say we want to also be able to ask for as much money as we can in a as free a market as we can. Baseball yeah. has an antitrust exemption. It gives them all the power in the world. It's not a true free market, but within that, within the, you know, the 30 businesses that are the teams, players want a free market. They don't want any sort of limitations on spending in any direction because yeah. they they ideologically are opposed to that. I, I, I personally, I think I would like a floor just because wow. of the, the tanking, I mean, the, the only way in this league to get those coveted top picks is by losing. And that's become a strategy by teams, not just well, small market teams either, like big market teams as well. I think that the one thing, maybe not the only, but one of the very few things that they might actually be able to agree on is changing the draft to yeah. disincentivize that tanking. I think that's a great, that to me, that seems like an easy win. That seems that's like the easiest way to do other than putting in a floor <laughs> and so saying here's you have my, to spend this much money to win, you know, try to win. Here's my question to you guys. I'm curious what you guys think about this. So I've been thinking about that. Do you think that would stop teams tanking or do you think teams tank just because they think, eh, we're out of it. Why bother? I think the latter, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, he, like, I'm like, they're, the reason they're not spending money is because they don't think that they have a shot. Right. And so they're not even going to spend a little bit. And I don't know if, if you guys saw Jason Stark's proposal for the draft and how he could, you know, essentially restructure it is that the first, the, the team with the best record that did not make the playoffs would have the first pick. So for example, that would have been the Toronto Blue Jays this last year, best record did not make the playoffs. I believe the Mariners were right behind them. Phillies were somewhere up there as well. Um, that's interesting to me because now you're incentivizing. Yeah. Trying to be competitive. You're not incentivizing losing so many games, which is essentially how the draft is set up as is. The problem with that is how many seasons in a row have the Orioles been terrible? And now every year that they're terrible, they also pick last. And now you're sort of condemning fans in Baltimore. It's tough. It's tough to, I mean, at the heart of all of this is this idea that like, so this is the real problem. This is like the big picture, take it out of these negotiations problem is that, 
owners don't care about winning because it's not tied to revenue as much anymore. Exactly. Like it's, you can't force them to want to win. Like the, all of sports you guys are at, like, you understand, like, it doesn't like, if you guys stopped caring about winning, the games would be bad. Owners <laughs> don't have drive to win. They have drive. Exactly. To make money. They have drive exactly. to make money because they're businessmen. They're not athletes. Exactly. And they've sort of decoupled winning with making money because they have all these other forms of revenue and that's the hardest part it's like you can't you can't write a cba well enough to force them to want to win if because it's like because so much of the incentive in all of this is sort of like well the draft okay they'll want to win because they'll want to get the top draft picks because that'll make them good but if they don't want to win they don't want to win and that's the problem I, i said this for a while now and i think we even brought this up on a recent podcast, me and Brooksy here. I think Billy Bean has given like John Fisher, the Oakland A's owner owes Billy Bean his entire life because Billy Bean gives them the excuse to not spend money because they're able to be competitive, field a very competitive team and even make playoff pushes. They've fallen short in the playoffs. They've been able to field a competitive team year in and year out without spending money. I mean, look at Tampa. Oh yeah. I was about to say, do you think all yeah. the owners, all 30 owners send Eric Neander a fruit basket every Christmas? <laughs> Seriously. I mean, that just starts with their, we talked about this a lot. Like they're that goes all the way down to their like amateur scouting. They're scouting and drafting certain guys. They're trading for certain guys. They're, they're signing certain free agents that don't necessarily make sense. Aren't necessarily the best players on the, on the market. And then all of a sudden they're, they win 95 games. Right. I it's know. Just, and I feel, I feel bad for the people the rest, like they're too smart for their own good. They've, they've, they've backed themselves into a corner in which ownership is like, no, keep doing what you're doing. We, <laughs> why would we change what we're giving you? It seems to be working. I mean, no. but right. But that's the biggest, it's like the biggest problem in all of this is just sort of like, if it's, it's yeah. Baseball games wouldn't be good if the athletes weren't trying to win and baseball seasons aren't good if the owners aren't trying to win. Right. Let me ask you about the universal DH and expanded playoff, because that seems to be writing on the wall. That seems to be penciled in pretty much. Yeah. Is, am I factual in saying that? That makes, yes, absolutely. I think that once we sort of get through these bigger economic issues, how we get through them, I don't totally know. But once we get through them, those two things. So I would say the, so you guys said that you talked about rule changes. Rule changes, not going to be in this. Take that out as much as we want it. Everything we love to see, a pitch clock, all that. They're not going to talk about it because the league would say we don't have to talk about it. Rob Manfred has the power to implement it unilaterally as long as he gives them one year's notice, blah, blah, blah. The things that we will see, DH, because it's an economic issue, it's jobs, expanded postseason, that's definitely an economic issue because everybody makes all that much more money when there's more rounds of the postseason. And then the draft, which is the other thing we, we touched on. Those are the three sort of fan things that we might see that aren't just like a CBT or a path to arbitration um and yeah we're definitely going to get bigger postseason tell me if you guys like that before i i hate weigh it in. okay i fucking hate it <laughs> uh, it just like it it takes more value away from fielding a better team than everyone else we just so talked free about agents this free agents here. aren't going to get paid as much i feel like i feel like i'm trying to think the best way to work you don't have to be as good to get in you just have to get in the tournament right you just got to get in the tournament and you can win it Watch the Braves who watched the Nationals in 19. These teams that weren't the best team, but they were hot at the right time. Yeah. So it's I like. I almost think, I think if you're, I mean, not, not that they're talking about this. It's not reporting. It's just me. I think if you got to do a, a expanded postseason, you do it like a shorter regular season. Because it's like, 
what are you playing 162 games for if you're going to have half the league get in or whatever? Right. Like, what, what was the point of that? Play 140 like, games. Play, exactly. Because otherwise, by the time you get to the part that really matters, everybody's hurt. <laughs> yeah, you're gas, right? You've already thrown yeah. 150 plus innings, right? I don't personally have an issue with it simply because the other leagues, not that you always want to compare yourself to other leagues. You want to be your own, you know, thing. But you compare it to the NBA, NFL, the major league baseball has the fewest amount of teams make the postseason. They're, no, they're, they're just the perks. Like that. for the fans, yeah. for the fan bases that don't necessarily always get an opportunity to get in. That's fun for the game. It helps grow the game. I do agree right. with it on that front. It's just more teams not having to feel the better team because you can just kind of get in. I think that they can make it work. I, the, so the league's proposal on this was like a whole gimmicky thing. It was like a selection show and, buy rounds and all that i think they got to come up with something like a little bit more clean i like the reason i like the current playoffs is i just think it's like so elegant like it's so it's so perfect it's like yeah. two wild cards so that way you're getting like and then the one i love the one game i'm i'm a total convert i used to hate that there were two wild cards i was like one wild card so perfect but then i went to a couple of those wild card games and they're so good and it's so worth it and it's so perfect so I love that. You get, this year that was yes you get this huge burst of excitement right at the beginning of the postseason, and like then you're too. into the grind, and then it's like oh, exciting at the end. Although it is like everyone's hurt by the end of the postseason, which kind of like every postseason just feels like a war of attrition at this point. I am worried That's about that. Depth is important. We see it every year. Rotational depth is like the biggest thing. Standing on the field before like game five of the World Series were in Atlanta, and I said to someone, I was like, they should poll everybody now whether or not we should expand the postseason. You get nose across the board. Everybody's exhausted. <laughs> right. By that point in October, everybody's so tired. But yeah. yeah, I mean, that's an easy one because it's more money for everybody. And if it's more money for both sides, then why not? How about the, of course, the biggest fan favorite rule was the runner on second base to start extra innings? I don't think we're ever seeing that one come back. Okay. Or at least not anytime soon. So there's a lot of things that are, so the rules, when we talk about the potential rule changes that we might get, although not in the CBA, because they're not willing to negotiate them there, whatever. They, it's all the stuff that you've seen tested in the minor leagues and in the AFL and even in the independent leagues. Like there's actually like a lot of stuff. If you, if you are a fan who's sort of like interested in how, like what the future of baseball could look like, they're telegraphing it pretty hard. They're testing stuff. They've got, They've got banning the shift rules. They've got pickoff rules. They've got, you know, the pitch clock. Um, I've talked to people sort of about what they thought of the rules that were tested. Um, and overwhelmingly, people love the pitch clock. So, okay, it's former players. Pitch clock, yes or no? I had the pitch clock in the minor leagues when I was in the minor yeah. leagues. Yeah. Like, and it's that, not new down there. And right. it's, it's, it's rarely, like, really strictly enforced. It's just kind of yeah. loose. But it gives you at least, like, oh, I got to get going. I got to get going. Like it just takes the guys who work really so like your Clay Buckholz and guys like that who are human rain delay. Uh, it just speeds them up just enough to where it makes a difference. But and the, I, the runner, the runner on second base actually really grew on me. I hated really it because I'm pretty much a baseball it. purist. And, but it grew on me because it no. did in, in this day and age with how hard it is to string together a bunch of hits. You're not going to see much small ball. You're going to see homers balls in the gaps, whatever. That's how you're going to score runs. Um, it just made us see a little bit of old school small ball, a little bit, because you had to bump the guy over. You had to move the guy over. Shifts can hurt that. I get that. But okay, here's just, the thing. I, here's, go ahead. here's the thing. 
Don't you want that in all the other innings? And I think that's you do, but it's so that's so that's the point I'm making is how good pitching is right, right now. It is so you, hard to string together gotta, three or four hits. Like they gotta find some way to put that everywhere. Like this sort of like I want to see small ball save. So figure out how to do it without you know rigging the system and putting I don't, a guy on. I'd like, I don't want to see guys like bunting all the time, but I don't also don't want to see guys like corkscrewing just because they're trying to hit right. the ball 500 feet because that's your only chance to score a run against a Verlander or a Scherzer or one of these, you know, studs that just doesn't give up a bunch of hits. They give up three hits in six or seven innings. You, you hopefully a walk and a homer puts you up two to one, you know? So it's right. But the, until but the, pitching but the, the, is worse, which it's not going to cycle back for a long time. Yeah. They're going to have to either, which I don't want them to move the mound back. I don't want them to lower the mound. I think it would make a difference, but then you start running into injury problems. I don't want guys to get hurt. So I'm at a standstill on where we're at in the, as far as the gameplay right now. The problem with that is, the numbers say ground ball, the teams with the highest ground ball rates don't have as much success at the plate. Not to mention too, I, th- I thought this was kind of a, a weird nuance between teams was the pirates and the blue Jays. They tied with the highest first pitch swing percentage last year. Well, the pirates were the worst offensive team in the league last year. The blue Jays, arguably them and the Astros were the best hitting team. Yeah. So look like at the, the difference in players. Di- the numbers dictate yeah. what the game where it's trending, where it's going. And right now, ground ball rates, the teams with the highest ground ball rates last year did not make the playoffs. The teams with the lowest ground ball rates last year did find a lot of success or at least had one of the best offenses in the league. So this is one of the things that I thought was interesting was one of the potential rule changes we haven't talked about was robo-umps. So I'm anti-robo-umps. And I was talking to somebody I up at the league about this. I don't like robo-umps. And what that person was saying was, well, think about the fact, because I was saying, oh, then you're going to have people mad at the league all the time about the strike zone. They're going to say it's going to be the it's going to be like the baseball argument all over again, that the league is sort of once they took control of Rawlings, it, right? people was mad. Exactly. So you're going to have the same problem as that as with the strike zone. People are going to say you're tinkering with the strike zone. The person said, that's the point. We can tinker with the strike zone to get more balls in play, to change where you got to throw the ball. And, and I thought that actually was a little bit compelling. I was like, oh, that's like one of the, like, you're right. It's like pitching is so good. How can you do it? Do you move the mound back? And I think being able to tinker with the strike zone might actually be a, a potential solution to I think it makes hitters more, more aggressive. Yeah. Yeah, which would in, in return speed the game up as well. It's a little scary right. too, just considering the power that the league has too, though. Know. You know, just the conspiracy theorists that I am, it's like, well, they already tinker with the baseball. They already now they're tinkering with the zone. I, I everything that Major League Baseball is doing. I, I don't want to get into the whole Ken Rosenthal and MLB Network type thing. <laughs> we don't we don't want to go there. But just the power that the league has that scares me as a fan personally. I that's what honestly like the thing with Robo. I'm, that, that that's I'm like, what's the strike zone? Fine, Robos, robots, whatever. They're perfect every time. But then you got to settle on a perfect strike zone. And it's not like. Like Everyone the slow curveball that like bounces on the plate, but it catches the zone. Like <laughs> right when Zach Zach Grinky throws a sixty-two mile per hour curveball and it hits the back of the plate, which that's always a ball, but it just nicks the front of the box. Strike that's going to cause some problems. Right, exactly. I don't think I don't think it's just like perfect solution. I think people think right. like, oh, it'll be amazing. No one will get. I think mad. it would fix it'll a be- lot. I think take the if you take the squares off TV. Yes. Take the squares yeah. off TV. Take, Take the, the square off TV because then you can't question it. Because what if the yeah. squares are off? Which they are sometimes because of the angle of the camera and center field and all yeah. that. People are like, oh, what are you doing? It's like this far off. You're like, what an idiot. You're like, that's 100 miles an hour and it's half an inch off the plate. Shut up. 
I agree. I agree completely. Here's my, do you want to hear my totally wild solution for fixing baseball? Yes. This, this is not why you guys brought me up. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it anyway. I want it. Okay. Here's my solution for fixing baseball. Move the fences way back, like giant polo ground outfields, like no one's hitting home runs. Outfielders got to be super athletic. Speedy guys are hitting triples on every ball in the gap. What do you think? And we can start putting value on players that hit for average again. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly right. It's like you got to change up what kind of player is successful. Why is the league how it is? Because the league pays power hitters and guys that throw hard. I think exactly. the ultimate, so everyone tries to copy that. The ultimate they question, I think, I think what we need to look at, look in the mirror and ask ourselves is it used to be the home run was the most exciting play in baseball. I don't know if that's true anymore. No, I think it is. And to your point, <laughs> I don't want to necessarily get rid of the home run ball, but I think nowadays, even a stolen base, people stand on their feet for or, uh, some type of activity. You know what I mean? Like a, a yeah. big play in the field. I don't know if the home run ball is the most exciting play in baseball anymore. I really don't. I question that. Right. I, Make it I know we kind of hit run. on this a little bit. Sorry. Uh, yeah. But well, how do you feel about the shift? Because I, I'm totally okay. I don't need two and two, but I at least want everyone on the dirt. Oh, see, I just think, I think that, like, I think you're not going to, again, I think we're like, that goes back to the, what do you pay for home runs and throwing hard? Like, I think, I think it's sort of too hard to legislate the defense. Let the, let them do whatever, but we still got to get more balls in play. Like the problem is the strikeouts, the walks, the home runs. I understand the shift is taking some hits away or whatever, but like, I wouldn't mind cool defense if guys were hitting for average. <laughs> like if it felt like, if it felt like you were sort of seeing like if team, I like that it gives teams strategy. Like we heard, you know, this in this most recent season, it was like the, the, the Braves first, they never shifted. And then they started shifting. And like, I like that. That's a story to me. That tells me a story about the organization and the team and their priorities. I don't necessarily need every team to sort of play exactly the same way. I just need there to be more balls to play. So thinking about shift. So I was, I was looking at Corey Seager's numbers and with last I think over the last two years combined, I'm trying to get this right, with, with runners on, his OPS was like five-something. It was bad. No runners on. Excuse me. With runners on, it was like over 1,000. Oh. With nobody on, it was like five-something because <laughs> the shift, where they play them. Yeah. The shift mm-hmm. a ton. And they can't shift you the same when there's runners on base. Okay, so, so tell me this. Is it that hard to learn to hit against the shift? <clears throat> it's not that hard, but here it is. As a hitter, you you know what your strength is. It's hard enough to hit when a guy is throwing 98 with sink and four other pitches and a slider that's the same velocity as his fastball, basically. Um, but as a hitter, the best hitters in the game that I was ever around, David Ortiz, one of the best. David Ortiz said, do what you do well. I hit mm-hmm. the homer well. I pull the ball well. That's my approach. Why would I have an approach at the plate that is my weakness? I'm not going to get on first base and steal second. I'm not going to steal third. Pitchers are so good. It's I'm not going to score because it's going to take three, two or three knocks right. to score me. So why would I change my complete game just because there's an extra guy over there? I'm going to hit it over him. That's my plan. Because your average yeah. is 210. Yes. And because if you I get that, but we're not, we don't, it doesn't matter. Guys are still signing eight year deals that hit 220 yeah. because they hit homers. Yeah. It's but true. they'll play you differently. It's like, because learn to do it just enough that they can't know that you have that weakness. That's Brandon Belt is a perfect example. Brandon Belt. I, I agree. That I hits. agree that they should be able to the professional hitters. I understand that, but it is much harder than you think. It is so hard within today's day 
And pitching is even better than I was when I was in the game three years ago. Yeah. It's, it's gotten even, it's to another level now and pitchers are getting that much better. Um, but it's, it's, it's hard. I'll just say that. It's true. It's like somehow it's like, I, I always say that the, the paradox of modern baseball is that the pitching is too good, but there's not enough pitching. Every team says we don't have enough pitching, but then everyone they have is amazing. And you're like, what, how does that, how is, how it's like never ending. It's true? just, yeah, you're spot on because yeah. that this velocity being able to throw that many pitches with this velocity is such a strain on your arm. Ask your yeah. husband. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. He, well, also, you know, backstory. Like, he broke his arm throwing he a baseball. Broke his arm. This is here. I'll tell the backstory very quickly. My husband is not a professional baseball player, but he did play club baseball in college uh, and tried to stick with it as an adult. And he was pitching at Yankee Stadium because they let the media do that once a year. And he snapped his humorous bone, the one up here, the big one. Like Joel Zamaya? Exactly. And, um, and then they talked about it that night on the Yankees broadcast, and they were not very nice about it. They were like, this is why you got to leave it to the professionals. And I was like, wow, rude. And that's when he knew he was going to make a comeback. <laughs> that's when he knew what he was going to make. He was like, I'm going to come back stronger than ever. I'm going to beat this. I'm going to beat I love this. It. I always told myself uh, when I was younger, I always wondered, like, why don't I throw harder? And I'm like, maybe I just need Tommy John surgery. Like, it's just <laughs> as simple as that. And then I realized Tommy John surgery doesn't add 10 miles an hour to your face. Maybe I just needed like, LASIK. I don't know. Yeah, like <laughs> something. Uh, let me tie a bow on the whole CBA conversations, and then we can yes. get on with our lives here. Are we – when is the next scheduled meeting between the two? Do we have one? No, we do not have a scheduled meeting. So – People were real, that says everyone, everyone, all the various reporters tweeted this on Monday, whatever it was, January 3rd. And I was like, all right, all right, give everybody a minute. But it's Wednesday and we still have not, still no update on. So, so we do not have any scheduled meetings. Um, hopefully they are coming soon. The union is waiting on the league to put together a economic counter proposal to their last proposal, which is now over a month ago. And look, I understand spring training is coming up. And the, the lack of talking from before looks very worrying, but they do have some time and they are going to negotiate. And we're a little, we're, we're still a few weeks away from being panic. concerned <laughs> and we're a few months away from panic. So here's, it's, it works out nicely with the months. I'll tell you this. It's January 5th right now. February 1st is when they should start to look like they are reaching a deal. If we can I get agree. a deal... If, if like, in, I don't care if they don't talk for another two weeks, as long as by the end of January, beginning of February, we're making progress, we can see where they're coming to a deal. As long as they're talking the same terms, that's what I really want to see. I want to see them saying, all right, you said X number of dollars. I said X plus. That's when the wheels start to turn. Exactly. Right now they're in completely different playgrounds. They're saying, what if we did an age-based system? What if we replaced arbitration with war? They're saying we got to change the revenue sharing. Like the, the biggest issue right now is they're just not talking to each other. Once they get on that same, all right, we're just down to brass tacks. We got to find a number in the middle. If we can get there by February, I feel okay about things. If we get into middle of February, if we get into March, now the actual season's on the line. Yeah. So on a scale of zero to 10, 10 being most panicked, you're at about a one or two right now? No, no, no. I'm a little more than that. I'm a little more than that. Here's the thing. Right now, I don't think we need to panic, but. Concerned. Concerned. I'm concerned that I'm going to panic. How about that? Same. I'll say that like. I'm it's concerned not the at lack how of... far away they are from being exactly. remotely close to agreeing. Exactly. Over. It's not the fact that they're not talking right now that's worrying me. It's the fact that I don't think either side 
is willing to lose this game of chicken. And that I'm like, all right, well, I hope you guys have a change of heart between now and the end of January, because I'm going to need, I'm going to need some people to make some good on some offers to like, that's the thing. So right now I'm at like a three, I'm like a three, but I'm saying that if things don't change, I could go from a three to a nine real quick. <laughs> My last question. And then I'll, do you think 2020 and like lost revenue is going to help push this along at all? Or you think it, do you think it would be even tougher if they hadn't lost money? I don't think the lost revenue is changing it. I think it's yeah. the acrimony from those negotiations. I think, I think, we were, I think there's a lot of like lost a, trust, bad blood that was already there. It was just kind of brought to the surface. 100%. The lost trust, the bad blood. And the thing that you'll, you can speak to as a player rep is it, got, it gave players sort of a preview. It gave them a chance to be like, hey, they'll screw you over if you don't stand together. I think players really saw what happened. In I think the players are more together for, than they've ever been because of that. And we exactly. heard Scherzer Ch- said that in the last interview you did too. And I, a lot of people say, oh, why is Max Scherzer the one? He's made all this money. He's taking advantage of the system, and he's made all this. He's the perfect guy to do that because we've talked about this, Danny. Yeah. He had older generations stand up for him so he could make money, and now he's returning the favor for the next generation of players. So he's the perfect guy for this. Exactly. I think that's what I think the, the effect of 2020 is going to be is just that the players know the players knew what they were up against for a whole year and it gave them a year to think about, hey, we're not gonna take anything less than what we want. And that's gonna be a problem because the league's expecting them to take less than what they want. Well, I'll tell you what, Hannah, if your anxiety gets to a point where you need a break, head to Hawaii like I'm doing. I need to get away <laughs> from all of it. And so I'm going away for a week. And so I highly recommend it to anyone out there that is feeling anxiety, is feeling anxious, it's too much for them, head to Hawaii, I'm telling you. Or just put on a shirt and yeah because hawaii will be fun with i hey, wait till you have to get an iced coffee and it costs you 950 for a small it's crazy but you're gonna have the time of your life where are you staying where are you going honolulu of course you are you're so I basic yes. <laughs> i love it hannah thank you so much that was i learned thank you guys so thank you. Thank you. yeah this is great hannah kaiser Major League Baseball writer, reporter, Yahoo Sports, filling us in with all the details that we possibly need. Thanks so much, Hannah. Can't thank you enough. This is awesome. Appreciate it. Look For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.